Welcome to the show, listeners. This is Weakness for Bleakness. I am Darcy Moran. Sitting to my left is Kieran Drybones Stevenson. I mean, we're pretty much opposite each other. Yeah, I know. There's a slight... Going by the recording equipment. Yeah, that's true. orienteering kind of thing. Yeah. Sitting to port is Kieran Stevenson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am on the starboard side of the desk. Yeah. I'll take that as uh, true, even though I can never remember which is which. Because it's always how much port is left in the bottle. That's how you remember. Oh, interesting. Good. Yeah. I like when you need a mnemonic, to, to which involves <laughs> well, the word left, to remember which one is left. Originally, it was starboard and larboard yeah. were the two sides of it. And somehow Britain still won naval engagements, despite that obvious fucking massive handicap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the howling wind, the fucking crack and rumbling beneath, and you just yell, you just hear... Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Let's nobody panic. Mm. Uh, we've got a we've got a full show today yeah. because uh, last week we were caught in the badlands of American. Um, <laughs> let's call it electoral politics. It wasn't yeah. really though, was it? It was American high school politics. Yeah. Uh, so we've got some local news to cover. Yes. Uh, How refreshing. I know. It's so small stakes and Things quaint. are going so well in Australia. Yeah. Um, there's been another fish kill from ash this time. A oh, has there? Rare, rare perch has been essentially wiped out in yeah, New South good. Wales, I think. It's good that it's all happening now and that we're still talking about it as a future calamity. And well, it's genuinely I know. in the process of happening. Yeah. <laughs> cool. It's fun being the world's canary mm. for this. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we'll get, get things rolling with... Uh, the some, theme song. The theme song. Thank you, Kieran, for reminding me of the show's format. Play, baby. A modest house, a picket fence, a couple kids, some common sense, a job to pay your mortgage or your rent. And all these goals are understood, but misery is a public good, so come and feed your sorrows till you're spent. Well, just to come, the captain said, the icebergs are the dead ahead, the men will keep the engines fed, I have a deal with God. We're at the end of history, there ain't a hope for you or me, when workers philanthropically believe in the economy. But what a feast for tired eyes, the poison earth, the boiling skies, and everyone their own spies, remember when the world was wise, we know, no, no. And we're back. <laughs> what are we going to get the show rolling with, Darcy? Shut up, Kieran. <laughs> we are not broadcasting professionals. That's true. That's <laughs> every day, I think. It's the cosmos for that. You're the one who let me do the intros. It's your fault. <laughs> I don't want to hog it. <laughs> um, so we've got some good news. We'll kick things off with some good news. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Sanders won unequivocally the New Hampshire primary. Yes, he did. I did. Uh, was going to pull up the results. Uh to give you specific numbers, listener. We're going to get some specific numbers, but the quick pricey is Bernie Wynn. Yep. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is slowly bleeding out. I think she has no delegates from this. And uh, yep. Joe Biden is collapsing into himself like a neutron star. Yes. Uh, no delegates for Joe. No delegates for Elizabeth or any of the others. Andrew Yang dropped out. Michael Bennett dropped out. Uh <laughs> Michael Bennett was so brave. <laughs> uh, what I liked, Jim Carville 
uh, Clinton's old advisor who looks like the fucking, like a turtle man and he lives in a gross pink mansion uh, and he's widely credited as being like the, the secret behind Clinton's success. Was he the, um, it's the economy stupid guy? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, he came out uh, saying that, you know, Sanders' positions are lunacy and we'll never win an election with that. There's only one candidate who can bring us the victory that we need and that's michael bennett michael and then bennett. like three hours later michael bennett drops out <laughs> uh, of the race in that same article there was a journalist like went to speak to michael bennett and he was like yeah mm. i mean he looks like a centrist candidate he's got a good centrist candidate cv yeah. how are you going michael bennett and bennett was like uh not good <laughs> <laughs> none of my assumptions have paid off at all this has been a disaster <laughs> Nobody told me it would be this hard when they let me out of the cloning tube. Uh, yeah, so Bernie Sanders won with 25.7% of the vote, uh, 76,000 votes. Buttigieg came in second with 24.4 or 72. So again, by 4,000 votes, Bernie clobbered uh, Pete. However, thanks to the delegate system, they have they received an equal number of delegates. The delegate system is so good and flawless. I love that America yeah. does this. It's good that it's scale. Like they just. Any other country in the world have this surreal filter between the vote and the outcome. <laughs> no, well, this is this is what happens when you abandon politics of any sort of meaning and devote yourself entirely to just electoral weirdness. You end up with these fucking abstruse, useless systems. And it's like it's great that it's applied equally across all states. So in a state like California, where there are fucking tons of delegates uh, on the line, you know. A 25 to 24% or like 26 to 24 and a half percent difference would mean a difference in delegates, but because there's only 24 available in uh, New Hampshire, it means that they fucking get split equally. Some news sources are still reporting that Pete Buttigieg got 14 delegates to Sanders 12 in Iowa, uh, but those results are not in yet. Cool. Uh, so yeah, but, but Bernie won the, won the vote again. And with Buttigieg kind of approaching his cliff in South Carolina. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. We've got to get through Nevada first, which is next Saturday, I think. It'd be fun to see the look on Boris Johnson's face when he realizes he has to negotiate a free trade agreement with President Bernie Sanders. I would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It would just make all of world politics immediately so much more interesting. Watching Bernie Sanders give his just like, I don't tolerate bullshit terribly well routine to Scott Morrison at a fucking G20 summit or just or the something. floor of the UN. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, we need his like just fucking straight down the line shit applied to politics worldwide to be like when Scott Morrison is like, oh, we had a very fruitful phone call and Sanders can be like, let me be clear. Scott Morrison does not represent the interests of his people. He's in the pockets of billionaires. Fruitful. I'm not going to use the word fruit because that's not who I am anymore. <laughs> but there's something There's something up with that guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's New Hampshire. We can move on. There'll new be Hampshire, we can move too on. Too much to talk about soon. So. Um, Adam Bant is the new yes, Green. Our, our glorious. He's to the Lennon. left of um, the man who I've already forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah, the dentist. Who is he was, a dentist? He was or a GP. Doctor or a, he was a medical man. Yeah, a GP, um, I think. He was... He appeared to be, like, progressive by the standards yeah. of the federal parliament. But yeah, he was look, very much, again, a centrist... Di Natale. Di Natale, um, yeah. 
band has always been just it's Italian for Nutella. He was still the Nutella. <laughs> um, the hazelnut. Yeah. Um, Band was originally a labour man, mm. but he bunked because of his concerns about labour being too deeply intertwined with the coal economy. Mm, that's the sort of foresight that we could use. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Mm. And um, he receives a fair share of blame for helping to damage Kevin Rudd's uh, emissions <laughs> trading scheme. Yeah. Uh, listener, I kind of meant to jump in here at some point and, and, and deepen that point i didn't get around to it when we were recording but before you send furious emails i uh just wanted to acknowledge that we know that that's complicated uh the cprs vote and stuff like that and and how greens were locked out of negotiations and how intractable the rudd government was and all all of those claims that complexify the issue maybe we'll talk about it someday but uh it's not as cut and dry as the greens sabotaging that bill uh but anyway Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> All right. It's important to remember that at the time he was a junior member of the lower house and he was pretty much just operating on his party's instructions. So we don't know really what a bad leadership is going to look like. It's going yeah. to be difficult for him, I think, because he's the only Greens MP in the lower house mm. and they're essentially a Senate party. Yeah. So it will be... Interesting to see how it goes, uh, but Larissa Waters will be leading in the Senate, and she's pretty good. Yeah. His first interview was really cute with the ABC, because mm. she, she was sort of standing behind his shoulder in the deputy position, but she was sort of leaning in to the camera, as, as if she was trying to sort of umbrella him with some charisma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of shower him with some dust to spark his... <laughs> he's, a, he's not an interesting man, is what I'm saying. No, he's not an interesting man. <laughs> His, uh, the policy shit that they put out after he became leader was pretty encouraging. Mm. You know, yeah, On yeah. board with the Green New Deal rhetoric and, and uh, fucking welfare reform, which is something that I've wanted the Greens to push hard for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, you know. If Anthony Albanese manages to shed his yerk at some point, then <laughs> yeah. Adam Bant could be a productive, like, minority coalition partner yeah. of Labour. That could be nice. It could be. Uh, it could be okay. It, there's something that happens when you become the leader of a party that you're right, like a yerk, turns you into a fucking just detestable person. So we'll see if that applies for the Greens. Uh, we, will. Well. we will. We um, will. And it can't happen a moment too soon because there's been another fish kill. Mm. This one uh, was a result of the rains that put out the bushfires was great but they also washed yeah. tons of ash into the river, and now some rare perch have been smothered. Yeah, cool. Um, so that's great. Fantastic. Other news, um, I have a field report from Hospo Voice. Yeah. We snuck into the lobby at Crown Casino mm -hmm. like secret agent men and women and did a snap protest, yep. uh, which was extremely cool and very effective. Yeah. The lobby at Crown Casino has an absolutely uncouth quantity of marble mm. in it. it, it it's everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. a cocaine dealer's first bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and so there were about 20 of us, but um, the chants sounded like probably 200 people just from the reverb alone. Yeah, yeah. 
And in- this is important, like rich fucking uh, mobster style people. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the acoustics. We should in always your- protest surrounded by Marvel is the best. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. This is why everything used to be mahogany and cedarwood in the old days. Yeah. The, it just old, the colonial the authorities out. knew what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> you should build vast cavernous uh, concrete warehouses. Is like the one that Marcus used to live in because I went over to hang out with him one time there and we were watching it. They had this great setup with these this square of couches, this sort of U of couches in the middle of the room and a big projector screen. And we were watching a movie and we were sitting about as far away from each other as you and I are now, which is to say... About one and a half meters? Yeah, something like that. And we could barely hear each other because it was just so cavernous. Oh my God. Isn't ping pong just the loudest game in the world when you play it in a warehouse? It's incredible. Yeah. Um, So that was good. The the wealthy patrons of the Mm. casino, for for those who've not familiarized themselves with Crown, the lobby is where the poshos go on their way into the exclusive bit of the casino. It's not, it's not for the, um, the low rollers. Yeah. And the response from most of the public in there was actually like one of concern. A lot of people were reading the, um, pay up four and a half million dollars, you thieving bastards banners. Yeah. Uh, they were listening to the two speakers that we had from dinner by Heston. Yeah. Who explained the conditions they worked in and the amount of pay that was stolen from them. Yeah. Um, and the security guards were outnumbered us four to one and were completely helpless. Yeah. It was great. The couple Fucking, of comrades mm. who got like rumbled on their way in because one of them had a Woolworths reusable bag ah. with <laughs> with the megaphone in it. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy, they were, maybe they, be a they bit said, more they said, they said, hmm, can we have a word, mate? <laughs> but they were immediately distracted and everybody could sneak back in and join ah, the protest. So it was all good. Yeah. Um, so, Wonderful. encouraging, encouraging yeah. from Hospital Voice. We made it clear to Crown that we would be back if our demands weren't met. Yeah. Tremendous. Great. So, that was, yeah, it was, it was nice. It slipped my mind until just now, but it, it, maybe next episode we should talk about the Columbaris thing because the discourse around that is poisoning my piss. Yeah, fair. It's, uh, it's bad, but we don't have to get into it today. No, we've got enough on our plates today. We do. Um, roll the topics. Yeah. What's our first topic? Bridget McKenzie. Yes. Uh, BMAC, former deputy to Micmac. Yeah. Uh, has essentially made the uh, the idea that ministers should be allowed to interfere in actual policy administration completely untenable. Mm. Um, not because of the gross scales of evil meddling, a la Peter Dutton, um, but because of the sheer like, goofy, cartoon villain mm. level of stupid that she's engaged in. Yeah. With this uh, sports grants fiasco reaching new heights. It's really, like, every... Normally these things, a sports rort fucking story, to, on the face of it, sounds like the most boring thing in the world to me. But I have to applaud... It's like how I would never think that I would enjoy a movie about uh, a man who, a weird man who makes dresses, but Phantom Thread, if you have the right creative person behind it, then, you you know, I can enjoy anything. Whoever's writing this scandal is doing a great job every week, escalating, nice cliffhangers. It's pretty special. It it kind of, it reminds me slightly of the Yes Minister episode, special party games, where Jim Mm. Hacker 
takes control of the party and becomes prime minister off the back of a lie that mm. the Europeans are going to abolish the British sausage <laughs> and rename it the emulsified high-fat offal tube. Mm. And um, it's sort of... The reason I love the episode is it is exactly that kind of banal crap that gives political operators the chance to make or break their careers mm. far more than any actual important decisions that they make. In When I say important, in terms of, you know, massive, massive transnational and um, huge international kind of issues. And so on the face of it, this is a, a harmless story about good old-fashioned kind of 1970s pork barreling. Yeah. Except for the fact that not only uh, some of the clubs that were passed over kind of the main community amenities in some struggling areas, yeah, uh, which will be condemned now to uh, rot for another probably two to three years before anything gets done to help them. Yeah. But uh, we have now learned that a major international event for disabled athletes was mm. undermined mm -hmm. by Bridget McKenzie's weird idea that shooting had health benefits. Yeah. So um, at some point or other, Sir Humphrey had come up to her and said, Minister, we've, we've, we've actually managed to not waste half a million dollars. It's still sitting in the accounts. Sh mm. we're gonna, do you want me to write a check for the... Um, disabled athletes mm. and she said oh no 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 don't 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 waste the money on disabled <laughs> athletes i've got a very important scientific inquiry yeah and he said oh yes and she said yes we're going to establish that shooting mm. has health benefits yeah and the office all laughed for a couple of hours and said oh minister you you are too much you mm. really are Ah, oh, very good. Anyway, the check's here. Can you just sign it? And she said, no, I'm deadly serious. I'm convinced that standing in one spot and damaging your shoulder with shotgun recoil for hours yeah. while you shoot clay pigeons yeah. has health benefits. Well, I mean, yeah. And I'm going to use money that could be spent on an international event for disabled mm. athletes to establish that fact. <laughs> Man, I mean, she's not wrong in the sense that recreational activities are good for your health. Uh, but can you imagine, I mean, here's the... The main the, health benefit to shooting is that it stops people who are definitely mostly alcoholics from drinking for a few hours. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> can you imagine, like, the hay that would be made out of that study by fucking the NRA and stuff if they got a hold of it? Oh, Scientists in Australia have found that shooting is actually good for your health. So it's the opposite of killing people. How's that for you? <laughs> you bleeding heart. Yeah, it's, it is fucking absurd. Guns make more lives happen. <laughs> they end some lives, they extend others. Who can say on the balance of it? Uh, yeah, the fact that she's a shooting weirdo is kind of a beautiful, like, aesthetic quality to the whole thing because it's just it's more perfect than golf somehow it is it is because golf certainly in australia mm. golf is a relatively egalitarian sport compared to golf in a lot of other countries yeah <clears throat> well it's kind of interesting of... my friends who play golf run the gamut from from some people that i went to school with who are doing quite well now and then like Stuart, who's 
poor, very much like what you would think of as Glaswegian gypsy. Essentially. Yeah. 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 And him and like he, he plays golf on the reg. Cause it's like, you can just kind of, you can, we've got a lot of some... community golf courses in yeah. Australia. It's can, not just exclusive clubs. You can get some beat up old clubs from an op shop or something and then pay 12 bucks to play. Around Stuart golf. was going to teach me to play golf. Actually. I've got to, I've got to chase him up on that. Interesting. I'll teach you to play golf. I've played golf three times. Excellent. Do you know how to make the ball go up in the air? Yeah, I do. Cause I don't. So, Parche Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Uh, if you have played hockey for a few years, it's mm. actually much harder to then play golf because yeah. the whole point of hitting the ball in hockey is to keep it on the ground. Yeah. It's not really supposed to go. There's a special way of hitting it to make it go in the air. Yeah. It's which all you about then can't. The but that doesn't apply to a golf club because they're completely different clubs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go play golf badly sometime. Excellent. And we're we'll, we'll, having to constantly move aside so actual players can come through and yeah. finish their games in we'll, under six hours. <laughs> my thing is to go to the local golf course where it's mostly school kids that go there because it's a bit dog shit and, <laughs> uh, and go there just after it's been raining because nobody wants to play just after it's been raining. But if you're bad at golf, it's like it's not going to throw your game off. Wet grass is the least of your problems. Anyway. So, yes, um, shooting in Australia is not a broad demographic. No. It is. There's, there's a reason why one of the up-and-coming right-wing parties calls itself the Shooters and Fishers Party. Yeah. Um, it's not exclusively a right-wing pastime. I do know a, a, yeah, a reasonable no, centrist not. man who's a recreational shooter, mm. but he lives in the bush where there's very little else to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it definitely varies probably more by demographics than ideology, but like broadly speaking... Tends shooting to tends right to wing. be a right-wing um, activity. It tends to be an activity undertaken by people who are asset-rich, even if they're not cash-rich. Yeah. Um, it is not really a poor man's game in Australia. No. Well, because, I mean, like, who has... How is a poor man supposed to purchase a shotgun and a gun safe? And, like, as far as recreational sports go, like, target shooting is not cheap. It's not. Equipment. It's, it's like not. fencing or something. And like, it's who's going to spend that much money? It's really not a great sport. When I was um, very, very young, I had mm. to go at a shotgun at a farm... Yeah, and you know, I bet I did manage to hit a can eventually. Mm. And I said, "Yay!" <laughs> Didn't really get a rush from it. it was, I, and yeah. I like boring sports. You know, I play yeah. lawn bowls. I like to watch cricket. Yeah, and shooting it just bores the shit out of me. It's I mean, that's really not interesting. That's fair. That's fair. I've never fired a real gun. I fired an air rifle when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Air rifles are more fun because they don't physically hurt you when you, from recoil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird sport. I feel like I don't know. I don't, I don't have the right social set to make this claim. I was going to say that archery is <laughs> the like more common man's version, in that it's also weird and esoteric, but doesn't cost as much to get into. But then I realized that the people that I know who are into I archery think... are into archery because they're weird. Yeah. It's not because they're fucking. Also, I, th I think poor. modern bows are mm. actually devastatingly expensive. Uh, yeah, but you can, you can get a cheap. They've recurve. got all like carbon fiber bits and yeah, if you want to do it properly, but you can get a cheap recurve and just go have a plonk with some mates down in fucking Moravin or wherever it is. I think it's like... It is definitely Moorabbin. Yeah, yeah. 
I went there once. It was weird. It's just weird. It's a weird place and group of people to be mm. with archery. But, you know, nice. Nice people. I keep... I'm fucking getting distracted by the stupidest shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the... Yes, we're not here to talk about niche sports. We're dis- here to... We're here to discuss what is on the surface a very comical story, but is in actual fact profoundly um, yeah. unjust and tragic. Well, the disabled athletes thing is just like the the latest in, in the sort of line of revelations. First, it was just that like, uh, what was the first one? Just that, that they were apportioning the grants uh, 40, unevenly. Over 40% they... of the grants have been awarded to um, applications that were not eligible to receive grant funding. Yeah, personally. but that one was a, a recent revelation. That's a That's recent where revelation. Oh, Eric so Abetz shat it, on himself. The first one was just that they were going to liberal as, marginal seats, yes. right? And then, then, it, then it was presented as that when the minister was given a choice between Club A and Club B, she would mm. favour the club that had the closest uh, political... Utility, yeah. essentially. And then it transpired that she had colour-coded documents. That she was sharing with the Prime Minister. Yeah, uh, to give to, to marginal seats. Then it transpired that they were fucking, like, passing over places that needed, like, change rooms for female athletes in favour of giving, like, swimming pools to, yeah. to, to well-established uh, and clubs. And clubs that needed to um, increase their physical accessibility, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which and is then, expensive. Installing ambulant facilities is fucking incredibly expensive if you don't have a grant for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then their catch cry the entire time was like, we've never given a grant to a club that wasn't eligible. And then one of the most recent revelations was that's actually fucking false. Almost half of the grants were given. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Exemplified uh, best in just like the, the short snippet of Erica Betts uh, in whatever it was, like Senate inquiry or some shit, uh, talking to one of the guys who had been investigating it. And he was like, but uh, you found, did you not, that we never gave a grant to a club that was ineligible? And the guy's just like, no, that's not what we found. We found quite the opposite, that you gave to a lot of ineligible clubs. So, like, yeah, it's just, it keeps doubling up on itself, this well, this fucking scam. This, this petard has been waiting to go off under Erica Betts for years now because mm. he abandoned truth for power, if he ever had any interest in truth, mm. decades ago. Yeah. Um, all that's ever mattered to Eric since he's been in the Senate has been the practice and acquisition of power. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd genuinely forgotten that there is actually a world outside his head where things can be verified and that there are people who care about that. Yeah, this this tends to be a problem with modern right-wing parties is... <clears throat> and this is... The, all right, so this is the, the health study thing with the gun, right? I'm going to use this as my example. When you look at how right-wing parties interfere with research funding and stuff, it's always on the 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 idea that, like, these pointless left-wing studies are just making shit up. You know, they're postmodern things that are just designed to keep money in the universities uh, and, and it's all arbitrary and they don't believe in truth and stuff. And all of that is classic uh, reactionary projection mm. because they... I don't understand this. Ergo, it's meaningless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Chinese. And then... It's just noises. <laughs> it's, they're just making fucking noises. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so therefore when they get a chance to do studies and stuff, it's post-truth 
meaningless shit. It, it, in its worst examples, it's like Coke funded, like Coke brothers funded uh, pro fossil fuel shit, which uh, every single one of those studies is rife with like emissions and, and data errors and reproducibility fuck-ups and, and stuff. And just bizarre claims. Yeah. What was that beautiful bit we read a couple of months ago from the industrial chemist who was like, you can't heat seawater with <laughs> yeah. air. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yes, it is. That's not what anybody <laughs> was claiming. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, that fucking dude. Carbon is a colourless, odourless gas, and you're telling me that it's capable, that it has properties? I'm not convinced I'm it exists. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, so you get that sort of shit because they don't understand how research works and they don't respect it. They they push out exactly the sort of post-truth shit that they think of as being a quality of like left-wing academia or whatever. And the the gun thing is just another one of those kind of things. It's like, well, research is a weapon that you use to to promote your ideology. It's not actually about finding truth. They don't understand how in properly uh, conducted research, you've got to fucking, you know, establish and then really strongly back up a claim. And there's a lot of problems with, like, fuzziness in, in research because of pay to publish and publish or perish and shit like that. But research is quite rigorous, usually, but they don't think it is. They think it's an ideological weapon. So they do this shit, and then eventually they find themselves, like Erica Betts, uh, painted into a corner where they're just like... Ah, but all of this is, and the person who's quite cut and dry job of investigating facts is just like, no, that's wrong. Wait yeah. a second, wrong? I thought we did away with wrong years ago. No, you did away with wrong years ago. It still very much exists. So that that has been an absolutely uh, scintillating revelation. Uh, mm. This was, of course, all kicked off by your favourite... Um, mm political uh, scion, uh, Georgina Downer. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, bizarre, <laughs> not legal tender gambit. <laughs> Georgina Downer is fucking great. Like, she's the closest that we have to some of the preposterous fail sons and fail daughters that the US has. It's like, great. And she she's should... still so far from the genuine levels of madness oh, of those yeah. families. But yeah, there is there was something delightfully... Mm. Uh, and, and appropriate to Australia being yeah. well, doorbell listener, uh, being essentially a adorable little gremlin, kind of trailing along. Yeah, in America's wake, that our our fail sons and fail daughters are just kind of thick. Yeah, they're sort of the fail sons and fail daughters of fail sons and fail daughters in a way. Um, it's kind of charming, and yeah. Those homeopathic levels of uh, of lunacy compared to what's abroad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, anyway, it was, uh, it was nice that you uh, you covered that story with great enthusiasm a while ago, and it's turned out yeah, to actually be off. extremely important. Unlike Georgina's Diana's gigantic check with her face on it, it's actually paying off. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, mm. Now, as somebody who works in uh, disabled care, mm. uh, you must be uh, thrilled mm. uh, at this uh, d verifiable evidence uh, of the genuine contempt that the coalition has for, for the people you care for. Yeah. Because it comes as the, I can't remember if it was the ABC or the Guardian, I think it might mm. have been the ABC, 
broke a story that the uh, national insurance policy mm. is uh, weighted according to essentially uh, zip codes. Yeah. So if you are somebody who lives in an affluent area, mm. you might have to wait between two to three months to access the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Yeah. Whereas if you are stranded in Nary Warren, yeah. you might have to wait for 18 months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the disabled athletes thing is, is uh, a useful piece of evidence and stuff uh, and uh, an outrage, obviously. But in terms of the broad scope of, of the contempt as you say, that this government has for disabled people, it's pretty small scale, really. Mm. There's something like 1,500 people died uh, in the last year as, on while they were in those waiting periods, waiting to access uh, the NDIS because it's fundamentally a broken system that uh, was conceived as a very promising thing and then built as a method through which to distribute money to private middlemen uh so yeah it, it, the the sports rot thinking is like a one little detail in the the vast fresco that is but it's it, contempt it, it, for disability it's a weirdly weighted one mm. because I, to my mind this should be a relatively trivial issue in the face of what this government's doing yeah yet it seems to have captured the popular imagination it's got the word I, sports in it it has the word sports but i think it also has, I'm going to give the public marginally more credit, <laughs> mm. I think, is is this um, excruciating level of pettiness. Yeah. Just like real meanness of spirit yeah. in a way that, you know, being cruel to asylum seekers mm. is a tremendous, like it's beyond meanness of spirit, yeah. right, and pettiness. Um, but this is just so pointless and yeah, stupid and yeah, um, petty that I, I I think people are weirdly more revolted. Yeah, it is kind of that thing where like if you take a sort of stereotypical rich asshole archetype or whatever, and you talk about like labor, like what he pays is labor, and and the way that he treats servants and stuff, then it's possible to justify to some people that sort of shit using these broad uh, strokes of, of a fundamentally evil but convincing to many people ideology about, you know, well, I work hard or whatever. But when you see that dude just be an asshole to a guy on the street asking for change or whatever, it becomes much more difficult to buy that shit, right? Because it does. it, it is then about sort of personal vindictiveness and pettiness and, and resentment of, of the less well-off. Uh, and I think that's what this is. It's the, like, it's naked electoral uh, pork barreling, which nobody really likes. Uh, and it's petty and dumb and they didn't have to do it. No, they didn't. I don't think it changed the election outcome in IOTA. Probably not. And well, because who knows about these things? Like, yeah, the members of the sports clubs involved know. Yeah. But that's it. That's like, you know, 12 votes. <laughs> yeah, a vanishingly small portion of the community. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could game that out. I don't know. I don't know where that lands in terms of. But it's also, effect, it's. But 
Well, it's it's not tied to any gratitude to the actual government. You know, well, mm. as a sports club I once worked at managed to get a grant for a um, solar panel installation, mm. which they needed. Uh, and there wasn't a single member of the club who changed their minds about what a piece of shit Daniel Andrews was. Yeah. You yeah. know, they remained avowedly right wing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, I can't see it swinging many people. And they don't have to keep digging their heels in about it either, but they are. Well, if they hadn't dug their heels in about it, there wouldn't have been a scandal. Yeah, they could have just been like, really? oh, we if, didn't authorize If Bridget this. McKenzie had just, like, stepped down and the Prime Minister had condemned this rogue behaviour, yeah. then everybody would have lost interest immediately. Yeah. I don't understand why politicians refuse to step down when it's obviously, like, inevitable that mm. they have to. Yeah. Because all you do is make it take longer for you to get a p- position again. If yeah. you step down at the right time immediately then the party gives you a better job next time. Yeah, just go be a backbencher for a little bit, learn some contrition. I put that in quotation marks. Uh, Ask about on a select committee. Yeah, and then put yourself at the centre of a leadership spill conspiracy the following year, and you'll be, you know, the Minister for Defence in no time. Absolutely. Very good job, Defence. And then you They can fly you around research. in special army vehicles. It's yeah. great. You can use that research about the health benefits of shooting in a whole new, exciting, That's true. You much can. larger scale way. Oh, goodness me. And the Americans know who you are if you're the Minister for Defence as well. You get important phone calls from American politicians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> much more exciting. They will talk to you like your children, but... Yeah, but they know who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Here comes a special boy. <laughs> or girl, in this case. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dumb. It's very Australian. I'm simultaneously excited and frustrated that this could be the thread that <laughs> fucking unravels their jacket. I yeah. Re- it really... Yeah. The things you can and can't get away with in this country continue to fucking astound me. Yeah. <laughs> they set up... They're, they're running concentration camps. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Which... Actually, speaking of, do we, you've got to transition to your yeah. uh, topic soon, but yeah. the concentration camps reminded me. Yeah. Um, so the, the <laughs> yeah. Shark Fin Inn has closed yes. after incurring an 80% drop in custom mm. since the coronavirus uh, scare began. Yeah. Um, a student in Perth got home from a trip to see family in Malaysia to find the locks had been changed on their flat. And they a note really? a note with absolutely no grammar had been posted. Uh, sorry, yeah. punctuation had been posted on the front door explaining that uh, you are not welcome here because you chose to travel back to Asia for lunar holiday during the dangerous outbreak of coronavirus. Yeah, um, Asia, Asia, that it's, one, it's that one city that we know. And yeah, love, Asia, <laughs> fucking amazing. Um, so. Uh, Racism has just taken off like a fucking flying gumboot. Yeah. With We've the been coronavirus. Looking, we, the Australian racists, uh, yeah. have been looking for an excuse to dig back into Asian Australians. We have. Asian they were getting generally. off lightly off the back of the Muslims. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the Africans and so on. And in fact, mm. uh, one uh, uh, racist loon that I share contacts with on Facebook... Mm. Um, was advocating the establishment of an Aussie and Asian gang to fight the Africans uh, last year. 
<laughs> so, you know, they were on the verge of acceptance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the two A's were nearly one. How long have they been so close to that honorary whiteness idea? Like the Irish and stuff all got accepted in and everybody's always been talking about how it's it's Asian people who are on the verge of being accepted now because of their relative wealth to other immigrant communities and stuff. But, you know, it just goes to show if we're Look, given think... an opportunity to view another slightly different looking group of people as subhuman, we'll take it. Japan, you know, really uh, has done a lot to... Not uh, make Westerners less racist, but to mm. change racism in the minds of Westerners. Yeah. You know, the establishment of Japan as a kind of also racist colonial empire in the late 19th, early 20th centuries yeah. really sort of fucked our narrative up a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, as did the fact that we, you know, had to, like pull all of the stops out fighting them in World War Two, and it turned out that they could actually see where they were shooting. <sighs> yeah. Um, and that they could fly planes despite their eyes. Yeah. Um, How remarkable that is. And then they turned out to be really good at cars and computers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, porn and all the things that Western <laughs> men love. So. <laughs> yeah. Again, didn't make racists less racist, but it yeah. certainly changed the kind of mm. exoticism angle that they were pursuing. Yeah. In ways that I haven't really reflected upon until now. So this is like a ninth <clears throat> studio album, Back to Our Roots, Australian racism kind of thing. We're like, don't forget, they eat weird things, and therefore... Don't, yeah, don't forget that because there's a disease in Wuhan, mm. that these fruits and vegetables from the Footscray market that were grown in Warrigal could also be <laughs> at risk. I mean, technically that's because true. Because <laughs> they are near mm. an Asian person. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fucking grotesque, a lot of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a weird one. If it is, because it's, it's really obvious to me that if mm. the coronavirus outbreak had happened in Berlin or London, mm. there would be absolutely no, like ramifications for any kind of European connected businesses no, at all. They, no. would, they would not lose a cent. None whatsoever. There is an element. No Irish is... pubs in Melbourne shut down because of the potato famine. Yeah. Yeah. Or foot and mouth disease or whatever. Um, there is an element and I don't know, I'm not educated enough in this uh, field of discourse, but I know that there's an element of like, the, the Chinese community taking this quite seriously and doing a lot of self-quarantining, mm. which is also contributing uh, a little bit to the decline in businesses because a lot of Chinese businesses have a, a large Chinese clientele. Yes. So there's a little bit of that, and I'm wondering how there is that plays into it. But there's also a, like a Most of these businesses of... rely on Anglo-Celtic Australian custom. Yeah. Like well, the like Chinese the community isn't large enough to support all it's these only, businesses. It's only a part of it for sure. And, and if anything, that narrative is probably used as a cover to excuse. It's their Confucian the ways. Of... What does it? I oh, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing worse than a fucking jumped up semi-educated Australian dude pretending to understand Confucianism. <laughs> it's my least favorite thing. And you ask him about it and then it's essentially they come down to like selfish inhuman pragmatism or some like extremely reductive. Well, at least we seem to have got over that fucking joke format. 
Oh yeah, Confucius say. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, I mean, here's the thing. It dominated the... polit- uh, any kind of like remotely Asian-based comedy for about 40 years yeah. revolved around the idea that Confucius said funny things. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's here's the problem. The the base of the uh the and joke also is that fine. Chinese people have a funny way of talking. Yeah, yeah. The base of the joke is fine. It's just you you come up with little witty nuggets of wisdom like he who pisses into the wind has wet shoes or whatever. Yes. Uh, and then you just wrap it up in in traditional, good old-fashioned accent-imitating racism. Fair. Yeah. But it's like, it's telling to me that nobody's been able to formulate those jokes uh, without attaching it <laughs> to that gross stuff. Like, we could do it with Nostradamus. Aesop. Yeah. Never forget Aesop's fable that he who pisses into the wind has wet shoes or whatever. That's not the actual punchline, so I forget what the punchline about pissing into the wind is. But I mean, it's obviously a terrible idea. Yeah. Oh, we can all imagine what the punchline is, or the yes. splash line, as it may be. Yes. Anyway. Uh, uh, so, yeah, anyway, so just, yes, the, the uh, quarantining and concentration campy thing reminded me of the... Uh, yeah, yeah, because... Uh, uh, injustice that's been going on regarding our local Chinese community. Mm-hmm. Um, Our Prime Minister's bright spark of an idea was to inter Chinese families in the same concentration camps that we were using for refugees, and the only well, yeah, because if you think that they've got a deadly virus, Mm. two birds and one stone, Karen, come on, yeah, yeah, Uh, and then of course those families immediately turned around, and when the press asked them about it, they were like, "It sucks here. There's like no, there's like unreliable running water and nowhere to shower and stuff. And I can't believe that this is what this place is like. And the press is like, oh yeah, it's very good. Let's not interview them anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, cool. What a fucking schmozzle. It is a schmozzle. It's a, uh, a to-do. Mm. It is a to-do. Uh, next on the to-do list... Uh- Topic two. You want a cup of tea first? I want a cup of tea. I would love a cup of tea. All right, listener. All right, lovely little tea break. It was a very nice tea break. Ah. English breakfast, unless I'm much mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, good, good, uh, palette. Good pick. Uh, I have uh, another article read. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I think you'll find, uh infuriating yay well we've got good um, drag queen story time from kieran stevens queen don't be so disrespectful to the drag community uh they love it uh all right so this is from news.com.au which normally i wouldn't be promoting some fly-by-night mercenary article off of news.com.au uh but this one because it is about a survey of news.com.au readers, I feel is particularly instructive. It's by Alexis Carey for news.com.au. Here's the headline. Survey reveals scores of high-income earners think they need more money to be comfortable. Scores meaning 60? I don't know. I'm not sure what the, the raw numbers are. Uh... Scores just means, like, more than 40, right? I don't know. I guess. 
What is the score? 20? 20, yeah. So, yeah, 40 or up technically scores. I don't think that Alexis Carey is, is Suppose you thinking can't, that you can't scientifically and specifically. 40-plus people think they need more money. Yeah. Go. Anyway, sorry, I won't interrupt you. Uh, no, that's that's all right. I uh, will interrupt you. you. Well, you have to. I don't want to just read the article out straight. Uh, most of us would probably think a $200,000 a year salary was more than enough to live a comfortable, if not downright luxurious, life. Correct. But that's not the case for scores of Australians on high incomes. 40 plus Australians. Who still don't consider themselves to be particularly wealthy, despite earning far more than their fellow countrymen and women. Uh, according maybe these to the, people are just stupid. Maybe. According to the ABS, the average weekly earnings for Australian adults who work full-time is $1,634, a figure that equates to $84,968 per year. We must point out. Uh, <laughs> that's the median, not the mean. Correct. Which is only... Average is not a very useful mechanism. The median is only useful when you have, uh, well, for certain things, but in a, in the case of, uh, uh, we've got the fucking moth infestation is flaring up. It's Yeah, it's not very uh, useful for working out wages. Yeah, unless you have a very equal distribution of wages, it's not useful because the median is just dragged up by every cunt earning a million dollars, two million dollars, five, ten, twenty. You caught the moth. I miyagi'd the moth. Yeah, well done. Only 400 more to go. Now my hands are gross. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, every two... This is back to the article. Every two years, news.com.au runs its cost of living survey to find out our readers' biggest household money worries. Uh, and they pimp their stuff a little bit. It found the number... Uh, so the survey uncovered some fascinating insights about our money and how we feel about it. It found the number of female respondents with salaries of more than $100,000 has increased from 16% in 2017 to 20% in 2019. So we're getting a little insight into news.com.au demographics here. 20% of the women who read it earn more than $100,000 a year. Although the number of male respondents with salaries over $100,000 has also increased from 37% in 2017 to 41% in 2019. That's nearly half of all men who read news.com.au and responded to their survey over $100,000 a year. That's not uh, reflective of the general population. And this is how they, this is the methodology of the survey. They asked, respondents were asked if they felt they were on struggle street, barely coping, doing okay, or on easy street. Those are good scientific metrics. Based on... (laughs) It's so fucking dumb. Based on how they believe they were faring financially. Uh, There's a lot of... Part of the problem of reading this out is just like the difficulty of conveying statistics in prose instead of charts. So see if you can follow this, listener. It revealed 29% of respondents who identified themselves as living on Easy Street had a salary of between $100,000 and $150,000, while 15% were on $150,000 to $200,000, 16% were earning more than $200,000. Okay. Those on Easy Street are 58% more likely to be debt-free, but more than two-thirds of people in that category believe they will need more than $1 million to retire. A whopping 52% of people earning between 150 and 200,000 reported feeling frustrated by Australia's rising cost of living, while 14% were angry about the situation, compared with 49% 
of respondents with incomes above $200,000 who said they were frustrated by rising costs and 12% who were angry. If you've got that kind of income, the rising costs are because you are choosing to spend your money on increasingly expensive garbage. We get, we get to the, to the meat here. 49% of $200,000 plus respondents said they were frustrated by rising costs. And 12% of those people said that they were angry with the costs versus their income. Actually angry. Filled with <coughs> righteous yeah. fury. Actual anger. Even higher income earners indicated they need more money to be comfortable, with half of those earning over 200 k believing they need more than $400 extra per week to be comfortable. Wow, Karen. More than one-fifth of those earning more than 200 k think they need an extra $10,000 a week to be well off. <laughs> <laughs> While another fifth, <coughs> another fifth believe they need $20,000 or more per week to achieve that. Another fifth. A fifth of people. Not 5%. You haven't misread it. No, one-fifth, hyphenated and everything. One-fifth believe they need 10,000 a week to be well off, more. At one-fifth, 20,000 a week more to be well off. They think they need an extra half a million dollars a year. Uh, Eagle-eared listeners will uh, notice here once again our lack of uh, capability with arithmetic has led us astray. The one-fifth of people over 200k who think they need $10,000 a week more, uh, that is half a million dollars. But, of course, we we kind of got sidetracked by that and and ran down that uh, rabbit hole. But over the rest of the discussion, just bear in mind that, of course, if they wanted $20,000 a week more, they think that they need a million more dollars per year to classify as rich. Yeah. Which I just rounded out what most people earn in a year, which is around 60 grand. Sure. Not what most people earn in a year. But I rounded out the average wage. Yeah. To make it a neat half a million. They think they need that mm. to be comfortable. To be well off. To be well off. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, to yeah, be yeah. Well $400 off. an extra a week to be comfortable. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mm. If you're earning half a million dollars a year, you are definitely well off. Yeah, that's true. But you definitely fall into the category. They view that as being that's the, the threshold. step. Yeah. That's the baseline of well off. They earn $200,000 a year. Half a person's average whole lifetime earnings in one year is their idea of the Fucking That's hell. just what they want to supplement their existing income with, though, remember? Oh, so it's sorry, actually $700,000. a year to be well off as a basic line. Yeah. I need to be able to purchase a new house every year. Yeah. Outright. Outright. With no mortgage. Mm. But you might have to save for two years if you want the house in yeah, the fucking you fancy it. suburb. Well... The fancy suburb being, like, what, Alamein now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, there's, there's more good stuff 
Interestingly, the lower the salary, the less respondent... Interestingly, I would have called this, obviously. <laughs> the lower the salary, the less the respondent felt they needed in order to be well off, with 69% of those earning under $45,000 a year claiming they would need just $2,000 more each week to be well off. Yeah, okay. Like- so if you're on 45000 you reckon that 145000 is rich. Yeah, I mean, it is. Well, essentially... If you're poor, you are saying, I would like any disposable income, please. (laughs) Yeah. Never mind disposable income. I would just like enough income. Yeah. It's like when you ask a kid, like, what's the largest number you can... And this is insulting because I'm definitely on the side of the low income earners here. So a a poor analogy. But you know when you... I I think I know where you're going. It's not insulting. It's tragic is what it is. Yeah. You ask a kid to say the largest number that they can think of and they'll say like a thousand or some shit like that. And you ask a poor person, how much would you need to consider yourself rich? And they're like, if I had $2,000 extra a week, I don't know how I would spend that money. So that would be rich. I'd be cock a hoop. Yeah. That would be amazing income. Yeah, so that that's what low-income people can, are saying. It's just like, I could do anything that I wanted to do with an extra $2,000 a week. Because I could sp- get my $2,500 one week and the, then not spend, like, spend that over the next little while. The second week, I can just save that money and take a holiday. If you're earning $2,000 a week, obviously we're not accounting for tax, but if you're mm. earning $2,000 a week as your gross income... Mm. The only thing that you are really prevented from doing is accumulating vast amounts of resources that other people need. Yeah. You don't suffer any meaningful detriments. Yeah. You have a wonderful life. You just aren't going to be, you know, an art-collecting pedophile. <laughs> yeah. there's Tough breaks for you to be left out of that club. The kind of right by virtue of ex- there's there's a guy who's quoted at the end of this article who's kind of right by virtue of being extremely insultingly wrong that kind of touches on that uh but we got a little just a little bit more to get through before we get to that capstone that beautiful capstone first we need to interview an easy street respondent so somebody who identified themselves as being on easy street so they identified themselves as rich but still had a gripe about cost of livings in the survey cost of living one easy street respondent who has a combined household income of more than $350,000 per year said they felt similar money pressures to most other Australians. Can you say that again? One easy street respondent, self-identified easy street respondent who has a combined household income of more than 350k a year. Okay. Said they felt similar money pressures to most other Australians. I don't have a zinger. <laughs> no, I just wanted to let that sit so that the listener can work through that in their mind and see if they agree. I suspect not. When I sit down and review my spending, I'm shocked to see just how much I spend on what I would consider essentials to a good life. Nice, decent car, decent place to live, good food, the odd holiday, electricity, gas, etc. Most people would think... With a household income in the 350k range, we would be rolling in cash. However, that's not really true. Obviously, I still have it easy. However, apart from a nice car and a nice property, we don't spend on much else, even on an income like that. 
I don't have the financial freedom to be able to help my family as much as I want to. And you would think we should be saving $250,000 a year. However, that number is almost half that. Where does it all go? <laughs> Was this man being like portrayed by Chris Barry or something? <laughs> it's so fucking... As, as a... This is one of those cases where sometimes you watch like a reality TV show and you realize that the editor is a hero because yes. they hate the person and it's like the way that the show is cut together tells you everything. This is like that. That's the end of the quoted section is just like, I feel like I'm not doing as well as I should be because I'm only saving $125,000 a year, which is around the mark per year that lower income people believed was filthy rich. Yeah. is just the amount that this person is saving per year similar financial pressure to the majority of australians is not i'm saving less money than i would like to yeah <laughs> i'm not saving two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year like i feel i should another easy street respondent said that their household was doing all right but the hardest aspect is trying to afford a house this is very very difficult Yes. Wonder where they're trying to buy a house. If you want to buy a mansion in Turak, it's so difficult that you have to uh, impoverish your workers. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> There's some quotes from a, uh, from a clinical psychologist, Amanda Gordon, uh, who talks about how often our sense of satisfaction is based on comparison and stuff. You know, we compare ourselves to others. And for a lot of rich people, it's about being as rich as other people. Absolutely. Or as this rich as a, other people present themselves to be. This has been a long established bit, hasn't it? What was mm. there, there was a um, an income threshold identified. Yeah. Was it like... It was seventy or $80,000 when yeah, it was identified. Yeah, but that was US that dollars was, as well. It was US dollars and it was and a while ago So now. it would these days be around... A Somewhere in the region of a quarter of a million dollars. I don't think it's inflated think. that much, but I'm thinking Australian dollars. If we're yeah, thinking about yeah, modern Australian dollars, it would, but it would yeah. be in the ballpark of where these people are earning. Yeah. Uh, beyond which point, further increases in income had no impact on happiness. Yeah, yeah. It's about uh, uh, perception and, and lifestyle and stuff. Uh, I gamed this out, listener, because I was I was curious. Uh, given that those numbers were pretty old, I found. A, an article about a stu uh, study from Purdue University that claimed uh, in 2018 in US dollars it was 60 to 75 thousand dollars for emotional well-being and then 95 thousand dollars for sort of like uh, life aspirational that sort of nebulous thing of like I feel like I'm rich now uh, which in 2020 inflates to about 61.5 to 77,000 for emotional well-being and 97.5 thousand for, uh, uh, you know, uh, aspirational stuff. So in Australian dollars, that study says that the threshold for emotional well-being is 91.5 to 114.6 thousand dollars uh, just for basic sort of emotional stability and free from financial pressure. And then if you want to feel like you're uh, hitting your aspirational goals according to the, the measures of society, it's about $145,000. So wouldn't you know it, the poorest people in this survey, those earning $45,000 or below, estimated uh, that 
they would need $145,000 to feel properly rich, exactly as much as this uh, survey suggests. So, huh, fucking Darcy was wrong. It's not a quarter of a million. It's $145,000. Uh, the, this is classic, like, news.com.au psychology quote. She gives some, uh, some, like, positive mindset suggestions. Oh, like, fuck you. Like, give away a percentage of your income to worthy causes, which will help you to view yourself as lucky in comparison. And it's the most cynical approach to charity I've ever heard. But this was Oscar Wilde's critique of charity over a hundred years ago, mm. and why he felt it should be done away with. Because yeah. it literally just... Just of he basically said all that charity does, mm. it helps a tiny percentage of the poor a little bit, yeah, and enables the wealthy to justify their excesses. Yeah, themselves. well, that's that's the product that's being sold there in the yeah. no such thing as a free lunch uh, mindset, which the rich adhere to fucking very much, even though they get free lunches all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's a business expense, Karen. It's not free. <laughs> the. Uh, the product which the rich are buying when they donate to charity like that is uh, conscience. Correct, yeah. That's what they're purchasing. It has the byproduct of helping people a little bit, not efficiently or on the scale that's needed. But, you know, anyway, everybody knows this already. We've come to the end, and uh, this this quote from Stefan, Stefan Angelini from Angel Advisory and Work, says that it's a common misconception that wealth was linked to the amount of money you earn. Is it a common misconception? Yeah. Correct yeah. my misconception, please. Wealth is linked to the amount of time you have to do what you want, he said. If you earn $300,000 per annum, $185,000 after tax, they put that in there to... Oh, $185,000. It's so little. A a mere more money than you need. Yeah. You're typically buying nicer items and taking on more debt for bigger houses and nicer cars. Therefore, you need to continue to earn more and work harder to pay for these things. If you're able to keep debt low and replace your salary with income from investments as opposed to work efforts, then you can set yourself free to travel and spend times doing the sick, doing the things you enjoy, rather than working just to pay bills. You are correct. He he is simultaneously right and spectacularly wrong. Yeah. By his metric, wealth is a matter of how you spend your income. Yeah. But you still have to have the income. That's classic self-made, like, super... uh, The people who make a lot of money doing stuff that is effective at making money and then think that makes them smart. And so they start to act like like social philosophers and and groundbreaking thinkers or whatever. This is the, like, self-help course set Mm. kind of thing where it's like, you can just... There's a... There are good ways to talk about the concepts that he's uh, discussing there but to to open it with wealth is not linked to the amount of money you have despite that being the definition of wealth and he then goes on to confirm because he's like well you still need to have yeah this income otherwise these investments don't exist these opportunities Mm. don't exist if you take his point being Mm. that if you spend without any thought of what the money is actually doing and mm. what your debt levels are going to be. Yeah. 
then yeah, you can buy yourself into a terrible situation, even if you've got a huge income. Yeah. But that's not what he thought he was saying. No. That same idea as expressed by like an anti-capitalist or like let's like the the uh the Byung Chul Han philosopher's version of that is like it's not uh that wealth doesn't automatically extract you from the the social conditioning that causes you to be a part of this perpetual growth per- perpetual production model of citizenship and that uh wealth has infinite capacity to make you unhappy through absence but it is not the diametric opposite of that absence it's the freedom you know that 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 creates that and the decision to act independently instead of as part of the system whereas all of these fucking idiots because they've focused all of their money uh, all of their time and effort and thinking into making money are completely unself-aware like fucking house cats so they just keep doing the same thing and they're like, I need to accumulate more and more. And especially in modern consumer capitalism, so much of that is taking on debt and leveraging assets and stuff. Yeah, well, it's a fucking, it's uncut gems, but in go, real life, you're just constantly on the fucking run. Of course, they're not happy. Back to your previous mm. um, case study, the man who thought he had comparable financial pressures to average Australians yeah. because he said... What was it? A nice car and a nice house? Yeah. He means luxury car and luxury house. Yeah. A nice car is a Volvo. Yeah. Or a Toyota. Yeah, mid-range Toyota. It's not... Sedan. A fucking Bentley. No. And a nice house is, like, say, I don't know, a three-bedroom house in Glen Waverley. Is a nice house. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's a lot of they're badly different types built of... and <laughs> shitty. But in terms of like, mm. an, an, a nice house being enough of a house, a substantial yeah. enough house that you can live safely in it. Yeah, in an area where it's you have access to the things that you want. Not a marble monstrosity in Malvern. Yeah, which it's not buying George Columbaris's recently <laughs> sold Turak. <laughs> mansion piece of shit no one needs mansions the mm. only people who have ever justifiably needed mansions were like renaissance italian bankers <laughs> who had to live in fortresses within their own cities because yeah. they were sucking <laughs> all of the money yeah and they had to have little <laughs> pairs of guards with halberds and stupid hats walk no around windows on the ground floor <laughs> yeah um it's really dumb. Do you, I want to bring this home by reading some of the comments. Do you want to hear the comments I, from the news.com.au readership? My favorite bit of right-wing media is always mm. the comment section. Mm-hmm. I've, I've screenshotted some, uh, <laughs> some doozies. Uh, but I also, one that I didn't screenshot because they were right, uh, and, and this plays into your thing about uh, nice car versus what they mean, which is luxury car. I'm sure that the people responding to this fucking survey are the sort of people who live around here. Mm. You try to drive anywhere around here at like three o'clock and you just immediately get choked by fucking Porsche SUVs and Maserati SUVs, which is like, I'm not a car guy, but even I know that SUVs are not the traditional fucking playground of Porsche and Maserati. No. But (laughs) yeah. Those are, I let a dude in a Range Rover it's, in 
the other day and he just didn't even fucking look at me. The courtesy wave, I, I place a lot of stock in the courtesy I wave. I do as well. I'm These an absolute don't... Tory for conservative, <laughs> for, for courtesy waves. Yeah. <laughs> this guy didn't give me a conservative wave. None of these fucking monsters do. There's like 5% of them are good. So anyway, yeah, they mean hideously expensive, impractical SUVs. Basically, just to cut off visibility. Just a series of mobile walls above your eyeline as you drive around in a normal car. Anyway, comments. RB Mum of Two is the username. <laughs> Sorry. There's it is interesting funny the way about that being these... a mother of two. It's just that the kind of person who uses that as a handle yeah, is, is their, almost definitely is their a key a identity bastard. anchor. Yeah. <laughs> All these complaints about people who are living beyond their means and stuff. Really? It's not wrong to want to be ahead. Some people work and studied very hard to get where they are. Some are professionals in their field. <laughs> I should hope that all of the rich people are professionals in their fields. Lots like, of poor people are professionals in their yeah. field as well. So good on them for achieving a good, decent level of income. At least they pay a lot of tax. Uh, <laughs> which I'm not sure what the point of that is, because it's not really addressing the central issue of the article, which no. is self-perception. It's, it's, it's also like, you know... As a lefty, I'm not suggesting that a GP who spent years studying and works very hard healing the community should not have a decent life. Mm. I don't mind people earning... People earning $200,000 a year is not what I'm angry about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's not the criticism. <laughs> How dare you earn $200,000 a year is not what's being leveled. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent. Ah, fuck. There's a lot of these comments that come at, like, that come so close to identifying the right problem. <clears throat> Hayden says, exactly. This is in response to RB Mum of Two. Hayden says, exactly. To anyone on here having a go at those lucky enough to be on a good wicket, of course it could be worse for some. But that's the point. It's not that those over 200k are delusional. We know that many are doing it tougher, so they... Hayden shows his ass here. That's such a Hayden comment. <clears throat> we know that many are doing it tougher. The problem with this country is that somehow the same tax system, house prices, and a high cost of living conspire to make it so that you you have to be really making money, 400k plus, before you feel like there's no pressure. That isn't right. Yeah, I see so what you mean. Like Hayden's like truth adjacent there. He's yeah, getting, he's getting identifying that near. something's fucked up with the system, but thinking that. <laughs> It's therefore fine to participate in it in that way, in that active role. You have to earn, like, at least twice as much money as being wealthy before you're wealthy. Mm. Uh, there's a theme that's, that's going to emerge through the process of reading these next few comments, which we've, we've touched, touched on. Uh, Thunderax good username, says, of course you would need to have over $200,000. Even a single income of $130,000 gets taxed at $40,000, which leaves you $90,000 as an example. Then you have high cost of essentials like electricity, water, shopping, insurance, and many others. By the time all the costs come out, it's not much left. Cost of living is increasing every year. Brown Paper says, the harder I work and the more qualified I become... Brown the Paper? Yeah. <laughs> The more I get slugged by tax, proportionally speaking. I am earning twice what I did two years ago, but in realistic terms, financially speaking, I am not much better off. 
Welcome to Australia's progressive tax system, where we steal from the worker and give it to the lazy. That is called theft. This is, um... So I, I, I've had arguments with almost everyone I know about progressive taxation at some point or other, mm. and the most common canard is... Well, I just got a pay rise and either the progressive tax system has cancelled out that pay rise or I am now earning less overall than I did before the pay yeah, rise. Which is that is impossible. Shit. Yeah. If that is the case, what's happening is that your accountant is stealing money from you. Yeah, I don't That's literally mathematically impossible for you to have less money as a consequence of a pay rise. It's not how progressive tax works. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, okay, so I got a $30,000 pay rise, which has put me into a tax bracket where 40% of that $30,000 is taken away. That's still over $15,000 extra yeah. A year. You're never worse that's off not, from earning more money. That's a, that's, that's a pretty good incremental gain. Like, I, I think that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fucking... I'm, try, I'm, trying, I'm desperately trying to look up a simple tax calculator uh, to figure out if that uh, $130,000 number is right. Uh, resident for full year. Submit. Let's see. The estimated tax on your taxable income is 35597 So they've done a generous $5,000 roundup on their estimation of tax there. Uh, yeah, because it's the difference <clears throat> between complaining about having a five-finger... Five-finger? A five-figure <laughs> five versus a six-figure income. Yeah, it's much less sympathetic the... if you're like, oh, well, I only earn, you know, $100,000. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> curiosity Cur- curious spelt c-u-r-i-o-u-s i-t capital y sure uh says i agree on this point it's a combination of high income taxes and cost of living. Why is the upper 47% tax bracket in the low six figures and not closer to mid six to seven figure range? This like fly by night uh, extemporaneous spewing of what they think the tax system should be is always tedious to sit through. I would also question the value of the upper tax brackets in terms of overall government support. In countries like the Netherlands, they pay 50% but get automatic benefits. Australia offers no such assistance to the six-figure, so the six-figure earners feel pretty cheated. It's because the six-figure earners keep lobbying for political parties that slash benefits and services. Yeah, yeah. Again, That's weirdly That's completely close to... self-inflicted <clears throat> I have a partial screen cap of a comment from Marcus. Tax is the issue. It should be capped at 30%. And from memory, somebody responded to him being like, when One Nation first started up, they were campaigning on a 10% flat tax, which I loved the sound of. Which is like, ah, fucking flat taxes. I mean, you'd have to close down all of your precious offshore detention centers. They'd be far too expensive. Mm. I had an argument once with a mutual acquaintance of ours, who I'm not going to name, who was arguing in favor of a flat tax. I think I might know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, (laughs) And we gamed it out and we did like a sort of ad hoc 
uh, calculation of a small population sample that basically had the same demographics as Australia had, and it earned like sixty percent as much tax. It took in as like sixty percent as much tax. Yeah, it would do revenue. In order, for, this is the ir- the irony of the flat tax guys, mm. especially the ones who were at what they call the lower end of the six-figure income bracket, right, is that to maintain Australia as it currently is, if you had a flat tax, it would cost them more tax money Mm. than the progressive system of tax does if you wanted to maintain current Australian standards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's a dippy idea. There's a reason... There's... it also means that if you earn what forty five thousand a year, you'd be taking home twenty two thousand dollars. Yeah, year, yeah, um, which is what seventeen thousand American dollars. <laughs> there That's are not good. there are a lot of cases where things in the establishment are like crooked and corrupt, and you can figure out why they're that way and propose better alternatives. Definitely. However, when you have a fairly universally implemented progressive tax standard across the world, no matter the ideology of the country in question, with very few exceptions. And these things are, have been established by usually the, like the bones of them by fairly apolitical kind of economic bodies of, of, of thinkers. There's probably not a conspiracy to rip you off. Like these people... No, some things just eventuate because it's how numbers function. Yeah, yeah. Progressive and that's really as simple as that. It's fine. And, and just... To... Because there is a system in place does not also mean there is a conspiracy at work. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there are conspiracies, but not in this case. And to reiterate your point again, because I think it's something that you have to use as like an end of sentence punctuation, is it's like, if you earn more, you always earn more. You're never worse off. You're still better than you were yesterday, so just be fucking happy with it. Like... For fuck's sake, there are people starving. Uh, this is my last little three thing, three three nested comments. Tex-Mex Aussie says, Why is the media afraid to talk about excessive taxation by the government? Taxes are not even mentioned in this article. Taxes and our in-the-toilet currency are the killers of income. Why is that currency in the toilet? Yeah, well... Australian dollars, you know, ticking along okay, I think. It's a, It's a little low. It, it was expensive when I when I travelled. It was like I yeah, got but that doesn't a little bit. necessarily affect income here. No, it, <laughs> it doesn't at all because like <laughs> that's the relative system. That's a good point. I didn't even fucking think about that. Uh, GB says it's because Steam won't release games with Australian <laughs> dollars. <laughs> <laughs> GB says the only thing stopping this government from lowering taxes is the crossbenchers in the Senate and the Labor and Greens mob, of course. So the only problem with this model is democracy, which yeah. is just fucking crimping my style badly. And then CES R, C-E-C space R coming to the rescue again in a, a weirdly dumb way. Okay, let's lower taxes. Explain how you're going to repay the current $755 billion uh, federal government debt, who gives a shit, and fund all the services the nation requires. Everybody should give a shit. Everybody should. So yeah, this is just some choice comments. Uh, I didn't predict it when I was reading the article, but... I suspect only the- two-thirds of people probably do care about the essential services. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot, 
But it also means a third don't. Yeah. Which is terrifying. A third is about the base that you need to prop up shitty right-wing governments from the looks of things. Yeah. So, yeah, in the article about the mental illness that comes with wealth that that turns you into a spoiled... uh, Basically, the very image of millennials that, uh, that the conservative press would have you believe in self-entitled, perpetually dissatisfied dipshits who spend too much money on luxury foods and drinks. Uh, yeah. And, sold. and then, then yeah, uh, the, the takeaway for most of the news readership was too much tax. That's it. These fucking assholes. It's so hard to fight entrenched so- systemic inequality when the rich don't even realize that they're rich. There's an interesting thing that's happening to the middle class at the moment, Mm. right? Middle class families are actually contrary to popular belief, Mm. more likely to have more children than working class families. Yeah. Right. A lot of middle class families will have three or more kids. Mm. And they are finding this curious... I don't think they're aware of it yet, but there's an Mm. unease growing, right? Because of the financial mechanisms that have inflated the cost of housing. Yeah. But also because of the financial mechanisms that have made housing a relatively poor investment Mm. um, with actually kind of shitty returns apart from some exceptional circumstances. Yeah. The middle class are in a bind whereby they own their own expensive home. Mm. They own a reasonably priced place in the country. They own a couple of investment properties that aren't doing actually all that well investment wise. Mm. But their incomes aren't going up as much as they would like. This is not, you know, rich, rich people. This is your lower six-figure people. Yeah. They are finding that the benefits they are getting from increased house prices are not actually working for them as a family unit Mm. as as, as the cost of living goes up. Yeah. And as wages stagnate and as it seems increasingly unlikely that their own children unless they inherit the uh, investment properties, which they will, uh, but are struggling more to find yeah. places that they want to live and own and are able to work in. It's an interesting contradiction. Yeah. It but, is interesting to watching the the that gambit grind itself to a halt, that commodification of the housing market and the inevitable result because... Whenever somebody goes into the papers now, to, we were talking a little bit about the millennial with 20 homes. Uh, yeah. Who's like, yeah, you just got to have a go and, and just get the down payment and then just leverage and leverage and leverage. And he has $2.5 million of debt uh, and he's going to eat shit for it at some point in the future. But also these people don't do the incredibly basic maths that said if every Australian had 20 houses, there'd be nobody to rent those fucking houses. So, like, these these internal contradictions of commodifying the housing market, watching them all come to a head and watching people struggle and panic and stuff. And still, they're not fucking 
poor. No, they're not poor. It's just interesting that the contradiction is beginning to um, yeah. is beginning to like have consequences. Yeah. But because of their ideological blinkers, they're unable to identify what the contradiction is, and so they don't understand why the consequences are happening. And one of possibly the most damaging aspects of that is that as some of these people actually get immiserated by their over-leveraging or whatever, like some people will get unlucky, whatever, if their housing market crashes, if there's a recession, then a lot of people will be fucked. A lot of people will be very unlucky. Yeah. They're not going to identify things correctly even then. They'll probably still be talking about fucking high taxes and and stuff. Those uh, unlucky enough to tumble into the lower classes may get a reality check and see what people have actually been dealing with and the nature of the system and how it exploits different demographics for its cancerous model of perpetual growth. They may do. I suspect, however, most of them will just use that as motivation to try and get the fuck out of the lower classes again as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's the cheerful article. The No self-awareness. No self-awareness. 40% earning over $200,000, believing. This is, yes, uh, Barry White's There's No Affordability Crisis bit. We were also discussing yeah. heir to the Ray White empire. Or was it Marshall White? I can't remember. One of the, one of the White family real estate empires. Yeah. And uh, if you didn't see him on the 730 report, have a look on the ABC um, webpage or streaming service, mm. he's sitting there in a beautiful grey two-piece suit with his hair slicked back with movie villain lighting around him, one ankle up on his knee, steepling his fingers and smiling as he says that people can live in all sorts of places in Australia. There are plenty of affordable homes. Yeah. Six to seven hours commute away from any kind of meaningful work. Yeah. I've always <laughs> fantasised about, like, if I were rich... Uh, and I've basically just inherited this fantasy from Mads, I think, because her family used to own a little house in Powelltown, just a little, it would have like a $100,000 little, you know, shack, an old logging town, which is now a ghost town. And it's always been kind of a fantasy of mine to be like, if I were really wealthy, that's, that's my real estate ambitions to have an isolated place in a dead town that I can go like and be away from people. Town. Yeah. Cause it would cost like fuck all to do it. Right. Wander around in a 10-gallon hat. Yeah, but I'm keenly aware that that's an achievable goal. I could save up a down payment for a house in Powelltown and pay it off. uh, But there's nothing in fucking Powelltown, so why would I do it? And that's what these, like, oh, people can just go to regional centres thing. It's like, no, all of the work has been concentrated in the cities. This is the problem with looking at things abstractly, right? Hmm. You're like, oh, but there is affordable housing stock. All housing stock is an interchangeable unit, like all job is an interchangeable unit. Yeah. It's not how reality functions, but it mm. is a necessary conceit to sell neoliberalism. Yeah. Sometimes I look at those like outer, those big sort of pre-planned outer suburbs and they give me panic attacks. Think, because you drive like an hour and a half out... And you see this big fucking field full of the same houses, like the with fucking... no yard space, yeah, no shops, no and, industry. And if you go into one of those places, they're claustrophobic. Like their houses, the uh, people are comfortable enough, but there's something of the refugee camp. They about are the atmosphere very there. claustrophobic. Well, because it, you know what it reminds you of? It reminds you of uh, economy class seating. 
Yes. You know, yeah. it's the same kind of still a luxury in a plane, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and there's no public transport. There's no work. There's no hospitals. There's nothing. Yeah. And like I look at that shit, and I think that's the solution to the housing crisis: is just sprawl more and build. Play like the reason that those places are affordable is because nobody wants to fucking live there because it's too fucking far away. There's no work and, and and amenities and all of that. And just being like, well, as the prices rise in the center, there'll always be undesirable land. There's always land that's more undesirable. Yeah, and just. And- simple projection of thought leads you to the conclusion that one day you'll be living out in the fucking red desert on the New South Wales Victoria borders nowhere near every nowhere near anything and just be like I live in Melbourne in the outer <laughs> suburbs of Melbourne Mildura will now be a, the middle stop on the fucking <laughs> uh one of the lines it's uh, I don't know it's bleak. Housing is a whole other issue, anyway. It the point, is. The point of the article is that 40% of $200,000 earners think that they need $700 more thousand dollars. $500 more thousand dollars. Oh, yeah, sorry. 500000 more Not for a total Not that that's of... like, Karen, don't Thanks for reining me in on don't that. Don't be insane, Karen. <laughs> They're not suggesting they need $900,000 yeah. to feel a scintilla of joy. And they're, they're probably- A very reasonable $700,000. They're probably congratulating themselves on their modesty that they still think that millionaire is above rich. Like- <laughs> What they really want is to be a millionaire, but or not to be a millionaire, but to be earning a million dollars a year. Absolutely. And yeah. then find an excuse for that not being enough money as well. Yeah, yeah, of course they would, because that's the disease that they have that's making them unhappy, not the amount of wealth. Yeah. That's uh, right. So let's no- let's knock it on the head. That's a nice little hour and a half. I just need two more points of heroin to be happy. <laughs> yeah, it is that thing. It's the smoker's problem where yeah. it's like... Maybe if I just smoke more, I'll get back whatever that nebulous, illusory rush oh. that I got the first time. Farewell, anyway, sweet listener. Weakness for bleakness at gmail.com if you wanna if you wanna email us uh, for any reason. Uh, if you wanna follow the Twitter account at Week for Bleak, knock yourself out. Uh, completely unaware of whether that does anything or not. I don't know. That's that's you're, you're the, I've decided you're the producer, so that's your. Oh really? Well, I mean, you edited, so yeah, yeah. You own the capital, and the producer's remit is now. Uh, yeah, you're the social you're, media. You're, well. you're, you're the capitalist in this enterprise, <laughs> and you're the laborer. <laughs> Man, if we're going down, we're going down together. This is a mutual mistake. This podcast. <coughs> I don't even own the capital. This is Eden's microphone. Is it? <laughs> It's my interface and monitors and computer. Oh, okay. So you're a sharecropper. Yeah. I actually, I guess I own most of it, just not this microphone or this stand. Uh, some other stuff. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, that's it. I'm going to put another Leonardo's Robot song at the end of this in my long, slow, hit, so far, pretty unsuccessful campaign to promote the new album, which is coming out late March. Well, you know, I'm 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 sure that the uh, 
brilliant few who relish this podcast will appreciate it. And as James Joyce rightly observed, mm. I would prefer this book meant everything to one person. Yes, yes, very true. And the responses that I have gotten for the Leonardo's Robot stuff have been very nice and very encouraging and very life-affirming. So oh, I'm, well, not, I'm not bitching. In I'm stark, just saying, uh, all I'm saying is that I'm a shit to the actual music of Leonardo's Robot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is relentlessly <laughs> depressing. So I think I'll put the one that's like about the... Uh, the inevitable continuation of, of bitter class politics into the far future. Well, uh, I mean, here's hoping, mm. because so far we've got a very lucrative career out of it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're rolling in it. On easy street. <laughs> Thank you, listener. Thank I'll you, listener. Talk to you later. If sticks and stones were healthy bones, we'd be right back in 2177.